Okay, so um, let me just mute everybody. Let me just mute everybody. And uh, again, if anyone's got something to say, please put it in, in the chat icon. There's already a chat here. Who's this for? Kitesbury. Yes, uh, Gitten Zimmer, as they say in the classics. Okay, this is uh, again, uh, what has it been, two weeks? Uh, this is the Shia on the book of Yechezkel, the Ilu Nishmosam Ephraim Shmoban Avram Ariad Cohen, and Chayatoa Bas Eliezer Mendel HaKohen. Um, last time, just to remind you, we were dealing with verse. Uh, 14, I believe, um, and verse 14 is <coughs> as follows. V'hachayos rotso v'shov kamara habozok. And the chayos, these angels that Yechezkel is uh, looking at, they'd run away and return like the appearance of bazak. We discussed what a bazak is. It's like... Um, a uh, sunspot or a sun flare, something that uh, suddenly appears and then disappears. And we were discussing exactly what uh, he's, Yechezkel is uh, uh, seeing here in this vision. Uh, we discussed the idea that um, of the Nefesh Achaim, that uh, the, one of the messages here is here that uh, trying to, trying to, enter God's realm and trying to understand God, what God is, God's essence, what God is, so to speak, made of, is a futile experiment, futile exercise, and uh, will lead, lead nowhere. It's also the opinion of the Rambam that this type of investigation is futile. And so that's one of the messages that we discussed last time, it, just to, if you want to a uh, review of that, um, it's on the last year. I don't know what number that is, but uh, that was in the last year. There is, we got up to the point where I was going to explain to you another understanding of exactly what uh, the imagery is here in this verse. And this is the general opinion of Chazal. Uh, it appears in various Midrashim. It appears in the Gemara uh, of sorts in a, in a roundabout way, as we'll see shortly. Um, and this idea of the angels running, uh, disappearing, and then reappearing again um, is, so to speak, the chaos running to and from God in the spiritual realm. And it's really not really about the angels. It's really about man's struggle. What Yechezkel is witnessing is man's struggle in his own physical realm. Because the closer a person gets to a connection, which uh, the actual Hebrew word is devakus, um, uh, from the word lebok, uh, the uh, davek, to connect, to be close to, hence the word, uh, the Hebrew word for glue. Um, the idea of uh, humanity uh, is devakus, is connection, attachment to God. Um, the more clearly he will see um, a human being, the closer he gets to God, the more clearly he will see not how things are, but rather how things are supposed to be. And uh, as Chazal points out, it's the goal. And in fact, it's the duty of every human being 
to try and create a closer connection, a closer divacus between himself and God. Um, really, it's, the Ramchal brings this out uh, in the Derech Hashem and also in Das Tevunos, that it's the ultimate objective of the creation uh, to experience the MS of God, to experience uh, an ultimate type of connection to God and be connected to it. Um, and to a certain extent, this is the idea of Das. We, we throw about the, the language of that, Das, which we translate as knowledge. It doesn't really mean knowledge. Um, it really means experience, knowledge through experience. Um, that is the idea of Das. Uh, to, to get to try and know God, uh, really know God, is to get to try and experience God in your life, uh, which, again, it's a very, very high level to try and attain. The language of Das in Hebrew, um, if you look in the Tanakh, it always, always means knowledge via experience, not via knowledge via learning. Knowledge via learning is Chochmah. Knowledge via experience is Das. Hence the idea that Odom that Adam, Yoda es Chava, he knew Chava. In other words, he had a, a sexual, physical experience of her. Um, the, the Torah describes the giving of the Torah as Ato Horesa, you saw Lodas, in order that you should experience it. That uh, the appearance of God on Mount Sinai was a, an experiential uh, type of knowledge. That is Das. That's the ultimate goal of the human being, to be connected to God and to experience God. Um, this idea of Das, uh, we know in English, if you, there's a big difference between knowing somebody and knowing about somebody. Knowing about somebody means you've, you've read. You've read up on something and you understand it and you've got some sort of knowledge of it. But that's not nearly as vital or not nearly as crucial as knowing somebody. If you actually know them, in mean, other words, you've had interaction with them and you've experienced uh, some type of connection with them, it's a much deeper and much more uh, vital uh, connection. And that is the idea here, that uh, what is trying to be expressed is the idea that the human being can experience God. How does that work? So the parallel to the Chayas is this. Yecheskel sees that the Chayas are trying to connect to God. They're disappearing. They're going upwards. They're trying to connect to God by entering God's realm. And what he sees is they're being repelled every time they try and enter God's realm. They're being repelled. As soon as they disappear, they reappear again. And the reason why the Chayas reappear so quickly is because the Chayas are spiritual creatures with no free will and who in essence are incapable of raising their own level of spirituality from what they've been created with. Uh, they can't gain a higher level of connection or devacus to God and they have to remain in their assigned stations, which we discussed before this idea of Omdim. In the, in, in the realms of the spiritual world, you're owned in. People are owned in. You can't advance spiritually. That's why dead people can't do mitzvahs. And that's why the only advancement that um, somebody who's passed away can make in the spiritual world 
is if someone down here in the physical world performs a mitzvah on their behalf, learns some Torah, does a seum, um, dedicates a mitzvah to them. Otherwise, everything in the spiritual world is owned. It can't advance spiritually. Masha Enkein, that's not true of what's going down here. And what the problem for the Chayas is, is even though the attraction, they're, they're pulled by the awesomeness of God's presence, uh, which is a magnet to them. Um, but because they can't advance, as soon as they try to enter God's realm, they're repelled. They can't advance spiritually enough to enter God's realm. Um, this is the message, say Chazal, that's being received by Yechezkel. And the message is that you, you Yechezkel, meaning humankind, are completely different from this. You are not Ratzel show. You have got the ability, by virtue of your free will, that you can constantly raise your level of spirituality and improve, increase the level of connection and devakus to God. But, of course, that's a double-edged sword, because therein lies the problem. Because just like in the analogy which we discussed last time, the analogy of the moth that tries desperately to get to the flame is, is repelled over and over again and then tries to come back. Human beings that try to connect to God are also constantly repelled, but they're not, they're not repelled by their inability to advance. They're repelled by their own negative actions that are not in keeping with establishing a closer connection to God. So that human beings can advance and advance really to well beyond the ability of angels to advance. The angels are stuck where they are. Human beings have got the ability to surpass, in spiritual terms, any of the angels. The problem is, uh, we, like the Chayas, Ritzo Vashov, we run there, we make connections, we advance, but then we take one step forward, and unfortunately, very often, we take two steps back, Rotso, we run towards God by performing mitzvahs, but Bashov was sent backwards because of negativity in our performance. That we, are, we, are, we do well in the sense of performing mitzvahs and approaching God, and then we repel. But as I said, unlike the Chayas, this can be corrected because we can run to God and connect to Him in increasing degrees. Rotso, we can run to Him. By, be, by performing mitzvahs, and also by doing teshuva for our Averis. It's, uh, there's two parts to this, two positive parts and one negative part. We can advance towards God by doing mitzvahs and by doing teshuva for our Averis. What's the, the problem is that negative free will decisions and negative actions that go uncorrected, they negate the advances we make towards the ultimate goal of connection to God. This is the idea of Vashov. So you have Ratzol Vashov. It's indicative to Yechezkel that the imagery is telling Yechezkel of the difference between the Chayas and the human race. The Chayas can never get into God's realm, can never advance beyond their own spiritual abilities that they've been created with. The human beings, on the other hand, can not only advance, but they can advance beyond the angels. By the same token, Vashov, they can be sent back. 
and they can be sent back below the level of the angels, depending on all the free will decisions they make, and dependent on, on the actions they, they take and the avarias that they do um, that are not corrected by Teshuvah. The imagery here, therefore, um, is a message. It's a message to Yechezkel, and it's a message to Yechezkel at a very appropriate time, because the message to Yechezkel is coming at a time of great depression in the Jewish world. It's a time of exile. It's a time of destruction. The Beis Amidosh is about to be destroyed. And the positive message, the optimistic message, is that a human being can get closer to God than even an angel. And we see this uh, quite clearly from the Torah as well. Um, the Torah in Bamidbar, in chapter 23, is discussing Bilam's prophecy. Now, one of the lesser quoted Sukkim in Bilam's prophecy, we all know the songs we sing, but there's plenty of words that Bilam says um, that have got just as much, uh, that we can learn just as much from them as we can from um, the more famous uh, prophecies that he gives. And in chapter 23 in, and verse 23, he says as follows, there is no sorcery in Yaakov, and there is no black magic in Israel. This is his prophecy. There will come a time when it will be said to Yaakov and to Israel, What has God done? What is God doing? Now, what's interesting is Rashi on that passage there, where it says, Yisrael, but there'll come a time when somebody or something will say to Yaakov and to Israel, what has God done? What is God doing? So Rashi says there, there'll come a, a time when the love of God um, by Israel has reached such a level that everything will be revealed to them and they will be seated before God and learn Torah directly from his mouth. Their place will be further and closer to the divine presence than any of the angels. And therefore the angels will ask Israel, what has God done? What is God doing? In other words, says Rashi, the angels will ask Israel, the Jewish people, to explain to them the meaning of God's intentions, of God's actions. And this is the meaning of what is stated, Your eyes, as a prophet from Yeshayahu, your eyes, when Yeshayahu is talking about the ultimate redemption, your eyes will see your teacher. Your eyes will see God. And so the, the, the message, say uh, Chazal, that's coming out of this, uh, this verse here, that the, the Chayas, Rotzel Vashov, that they have the ability to be owned in. They're on a high spiritual level. They can't go down and they can't, they can't uh, uh, so to speak, be lowered in their spirituality and they can't raise their own spirituality. The human race, on the other hand, has got the ability in both directions. They can be lowered to the lowest level, well below the level of angels. On the other hand, they can raise themselves, Ratzel Vashov, um, simply, not simply, but uh, by performing God's will, doing mitzvahs, and seeking connection to God, 
they can ascend above the level of angels, which is an optimistic message at a time when uh, the Jewish people are going into exile. Um, and of course, the future of the Jewish people is always decided by the free will decisions of the Jewish people. Um, that is absolutely for sure. So that is one of the deeper messages of this posse. And it's a, a really optimistic message uh, coming out of the heavens. Now, in verse 15, we're going to move on to a new set of angels. So far in the first 14 psukim, or the, from verses 4 through to 14, we've only been discussing one type of angel. That's the chayos, the chayos Kodesh. But uh, as we say every morning, um, there are other groups of angels. There's the uh, Shrafim, the fiery angels, and there's also the Ophanim. We say every morning in Davening that these two groups of angels, they seem to be stuck together in, 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 on a, in, in the same area of Shemaim, in the same area, in the same spiritual world, which is the world of Yitzira, which we've discussed before. Um, it's uh, the one level up from the world that we live in, which is the world of Asiya, the world of action. So here we're going to be introduced in, in verse 15 to a new type of angel, which we'll have to discuss and see exactly what this angel is. It's a little bit complicated. We'll do our best to, and there's parts of this, possible, just a, 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 from a perspective of a warning, there's parts of this possible that I can't go into, I can't expand on. You can ask the questions, but um, I will... Um, I'm afraid I won't be able to, what's this, what chapter are we learning? Oh, I see, okay. Okay, so I, as I said, there'll be parts of this, this verse that I won't be able to delve into. If you want to delve into it, you can discuss it with me privately. Okay, carries on Yechezkel. As I looked, I saw, as I gazed at the creatures, I saw one ofan, one wheel on the ground next to each of the four chayos, uh, or next to each of the four-faced creatures. Um, <clears throat> okay, so the simple reading of this verse indicates the way Rashi learns, which is a simple reading of the verse, that for each of the four-faced chayos, there were four chayos, each of them had four faces, for each of them there was one ofan. Um, so there would be four Ophanim in total, just like there were four Chayas, there'd be four Ophanim. And that is what Yechezkel is describing here, when he says, uh, exactly what he means, uh, that they were like standing on the ground, obviously doesn't mean that these Ophanim literally stood on the ground, says Rashi, but rather it's some sort of anthropomorphism. Um, the appearance uh, for Yechezkel's purposes was that these Ophanim appeared to be resting on solid ground. Uh, the reality is that the Ophanim, like the Chayas, were not resting on solid ground. And Shemayim, in the heavens, which we discussed in the last year, the seven uh, different types of uh, heavens, um, there actually there isn't any solid ground. But uh, it appeared, that's how it appeared to Yechezkel. But the reality was they were, they were standing Baritz Pasarakia, like on a spiritual platform rather than a physical one. Now the Gemara in Chagiga deals with this pasuk 
and it's very vague, so I'll try and explain it to you. Um, the the Gemara Chagid does not agree with Rashi's simple uh, reading of this posuk. Uh, the Gemara says as follows: There was only one Ophan. There, there were four. There was only one. Um, and really, it is standing on solid ground. It's not standing Baritz Basarakir. It's not standing on something that looks like solid ground. It actually is standing on solid ground. Um, the Gemara there quotes our verse. So the Gemara said, there says in the name of Rebbe Loza, this Ofan, this uh, circular uh, angel, is an angel who stands on the actual earth and its head reaches the level of the chayas. How can that be? Um, so the Gemara says the angel, this Ofan has got a name. Its name is Sandalfon. And Sandalfon, this angel, this Ofan, uh, is taller uh, than his colleagues, meaning the chayas, in terms of physical size or spiritual size. Um, by a distance of 500 years. doesn't measure it in terms of uh, physical distance, but in terms of years. Uh, the general op opinion is that uh, the length or the height of this uh, angel um, was such that it would take a human being walking 500 years to uh, walk the distance of this uh, angel, the height of this angel. Um, the Gomorrah then continues that uh, this angel, Sandalfon, who is the Ophan, he stands behind the Merkava, he stands behind the chariot, and weaves crowns for God. Now, obviously, this is going to take some explaining. The idea that an angel stands there all day uh, knitting uh, crowns for God uh, is not something that uh, we can sort of... Uh, taking a, a face value. So the Gemara there asks, is it true? Can crowns be woven for God? So the Gemara asks the question. The Possek says, Baruch Kavod Hashem Min Koma. God is blessed from his place, which is the Possek in Yechezkel, which we'll come to in chapter three, which uh, by inference suggests that no one, no one knows where God's place is. Like, uh, God's got his own place, and no one knows really where it is. No one can really visit it. Therefore, the Gemara asks, how can crowns be woven for God? How does this angel, San, Sandalfon, stand there, 500, 500 years tall, uh, all day weaving crowns for God? It doesn't seem to make very much sense. So the Gemara says, rather, it can be done by attaching a name to the crown, a name of God. And then the crown goes and sits on God's head of its own accord. So this Gemara is very difficult to understand. And it's not meant to be understood totally. And I'm going to explain the Gemara to you. But again, there's parts of it that uh, I won't go into or can't go into. Uh, parts of it I, I don't understand myself. So exactly what, this, this, does, this Gemara, uh, what does this Gemara in Chagiga mean? So we've been talking throughout this chapter about Yechezkel's vision being in some way at least a revelation of the interconnectivity of the physical realm, which is the Olam HaSiyah, which is the world that we uh, reside in, and the upper spiritual realms of the, angel, uh, of the angels, 
uh, and uh, even higher up the realms of God or the realm of God, the realm of Atsilus, uh, the highest realm that there is. Um, so Toysus and this Gemara uh, makes the following observation. So this angel, Sandalphon, uh, weaves crowns with the names of God that float up and sit on God's head, so to speak. So God hasn't got a head. So exactly what does it mean? So Toysus says here, Vakosha Kasorim Lakono, Mispaltom Shel Tzadikim Hu Oso Artoros. He says, Toysus says, this angel, Sandalphon, makes crowns from the tefillos of the Tzadikim. Um, so the way to understand this Gemara is like this. When a person davens with the correct kavana, that tefillah is taken by this angel. In other words, you're in shul, and you're you davening, and you're davening with kavana. That tefillah, the first, its first port of call is this angel. This angel is Sandalphon. He takes the tefillah. Uh, this angel whose feet are in the physical world, and whose head is in the upper world of the angels, in the Olam, the Olam Hayatzira, the world of formation, which is where the angels reside, which is where the Chayas reside. So he's a creature that is partially physical and partially spiritual. So in his physical form, he takes the tefillahs of the Tzadikim. And I don't think the Gemara, I mean, the way I learned it with my Rebbe, um, the tzaddikim here doesn't mean tzaddikim, it has to be tzaddikim. It means if you're dabbling with kavana, by definition, you're a tzaddik uh, at that point in time. So a person who dabbles with kavana, the tefillah, that, that physical, those physical words, the, 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 the actual physical words that you say with its kavana is taken by this angel um, from the physical world. The angel then fashions the tefillah into a crown. Um, exactly what the, that, that means, we'll see in a second. He fashions the tefillah into a crown, and he attaches God's name to the tefillah, and the tefillah itself, when it's been transformed in this way, automatically goes upwards into God's realm and is delivered to God. So imagine it like this, that this angel, Sandalphon, is performing the job of, say, a contemporary fulfillment company like Amazon. Like uh, you put in your order and uh, the fulfillment company, you know, via computerization and via uh, ro robotics in the warehouse, take, take the order and uh, attach it to a product and uh, they take the product and they deliver it. And that's exactly what's going on here. But the Sandal Fon, this Ophan, this type of angel, he picks up the tefillahs, he attaches a crown, he attaches God's name to the tefillah, and then automatically it uh, transcends up through the heavenly uh, areas into God's realm, and so to speak, sits on God's head. It doesn't literally mean, obviously, sits on God's head. God doesn't have a head, but it enters into God's realm so that God, so to speak, is aware of it. Uh, the takeaway here is that the Gomorrah is clear that the tefillah of a man cannot be delivered directly to God by the angel. The angel doesn't deliver it directly to God. 
because the angel itself, this Sandalphon, has no ability to enter God's realm, just like the Chayas, Rotsov or Shov, in the previous verse, they try to enter God's realm, but they can't. Um, so the tefillah, when it's fashioned, so to speak, when it's transformed into the correct format, makes its way itself into God's realm. But the prayers of a human being themselves do have the capability to transcend the abilities of the angels. All the angel does here is transform it into a different format. And the tefillah itself reaches God himself. And the prayer reaches God via partial interaction with the angel. So that your tefillah is delivered. You say you're over your tefillah. It's, so to speak, formatted in the correct format uh, for the Olam Atsilas, for the, for the world in which God resides. And once it's formatted that way, it makes its own way and sits in front of God, or sits on God's head, but literally sits in front of God, and God takes notice of it. So this angel, San, Sandalphon, his job is to present in both the physical, and to be present, so to speak, in both the physical and the spiritual world, collect the tefillahs for, from our realm, fashion them into crowns. In other words, he remo removes, when we say he fashions them into crowns, it means he removes the physical elements of the prayer, the sound, the words, and all that's left are the meaning, the kavana, the intention. That is what makes its way upstairs. Um, and once they're converted, uh, and the physical element of the prayer is reduced into its raw spiritual effort, essence of the prayer itself, which is called the Keter. The Keter is, by definition, a tefillah that has been transformed from a physical prayer into a spiritual entity all of its own. And then this transformed tefillah make their way to God's Rosh, God's head, God, meaning, uh, when we say God's head here, meaning it makes its way to the world of Atsilas, Atsilas, the, the upper realm, the, uh, the ultimate realm in which God resides is called the Rosh, the top, the head. That's what we mean by God's head, the, 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 the world in which he inhabits, which is the highest world. Once in God's realm, God, so to speak, can act upon these kasarim can act upon these prayers that uh, are now purely physical, purely spiritual items. They've got no physical format themselves. If you, if you think about the, the, our introduction to our tefillah, there is only the, the word tefillah, when we say tefillah, we're always referring to the Amida. We're always referring to the Shemona Esrei. And if you notice at the start, when we start uh, the, the um, the Shemona Esri, the first words we say, Hashem We're asking permission to be able to address God in a format that is not recognized in his realm. In his realm, the words, physical words, volume, sound, they are not recognized. They are physical items. God's realm is totally spiritual. And therefore, we ask permission. Hashem, allow us to open our mouths. Um, and let us speak your praises. But the reality is, 
that uh, at the point where God accepts these prayers, they're not in that format anymore. They're in a different format. They're in a spiritual format. They're in a non-verbal format. They've been reduced purely to the spiritual kavana in which they were sent. So um, they sit in front of God, and these are called kasarim. They're called crowns. That's what the tefillos become. And if they're said with the right amount of kavana, they make it into God's realm, and they bring benefit to the human beings, uh, the whole world, in fact, um, um, to the human being that made the original tefillah, and to the human race as a whole, so that the human being's ability to have something of his enter the uppermost world of Atsilas into God's realm is another way in which a human being is greater than any angel, because the angels have no ability to enter there, not via, uh, so to speak, entering themselves, neither by entering with words, because they can't enter there under any circumstances. We have the ability to go beyond them with our physical actions, and we have the ability to go beyond them with our spiritual actions, which are our tefillahs, that have to be transformed, though, from their physical um, makeup into a spiritual format that is appropriate for God's realm. Okay, let me see. Uh, uh, Larry Lowenthal, I heard once that Tefillah in Chutzla Oritz go to Hashem through an angel, while Tefillah said in Eretz Yisrael go directly to God. We're going to deal with that in a second. But I thought that Hashem used the holy letters of Lashon HaKodesh to create the world. So why would our prayers not be recognized in their original form? God did create the world using the holy letters, but not by using them, physically speaking them. God manipulated them in a spiritual manner rather than a physical manner. When the Torah says, Vayoma Hashem, Yehi Or, it doesn't mean God spoke. It means God willed it to be. Um, there's no idea. I mean, the, the idea that Vayikra Elokim, La'or Yom, that God called out to the day. God didn't call out to anyone. There's no one to call out to. The idea, all these words, are, uh, if you read my book, you know, if you get a chance, I go through this, uh, a very long Ramban that deals with this idea that all the words that are used in the first chapter of Bereshis to describe um, adjectives of creativity, uh, where God, so to speak, sees, Vayar Hashem Kitov, God saw that it was good, Vayoma Hashem, Yehiar, Vayikra Lakim, God called. These are not to be taken as literal, literal ideas that God saw something was good, that God called to something, that God said, God didn't say anything. When it says that God created the world, it says, Behi Boron. Behei, the Gemara says. He took the letter He, and with the letter He, he created the world, or he created Adam and Chavar. He created the two-part Sufim, the, the two-part human being. That he didn't call, use any type of physical expression. It's all done. The letters are not physical items. Um, as we'll see, there's a... a, a for those that are learning the Gemara Vodazara with me, we're going to see soon uh, a very famous uh, ex, uh, uh, halacha 
regarding the letters of the Sefer Torah. The letters of the Sefer Torah cannot become Tomei. Normally, things that are physical can become Tomei. The letters of the base of the Sefer Torah cannot become Tomei. They're not physical items in that, in that sense. They may look like physical items and they can be written and expressed physically by a Sofer, but the reality is those letters are not physical in origin. What we have are representations of those letters. And as a result of that, um, they are purely spiritual items. They can't become Tomei, which is one of the reasons why it has led some people to believe that uh, women, even though they might not know that they are Nida, should be able to read from the Sefer Torah, should be able to learn from the Sefer Torah. That's a whole different discussion. Um, whether women can handle the Sefer Torah, uh, not knowing whether they're Nida or not because the reality is the Sefer Torah itself, because it contains the letters, is not a physical item in the sense that it can become Tomei. So it's true what you're saying, Ben, that uh, God did use the letters of Lesh, Losh, and Akodesh to create the world, but the way we use those letters is in a completely different format. We use them in a physical way. We use them with volume. We use our vocal cords to enunciate them. When God uses the words, the letters of the Torah, he doesn't enunciate them in a physical fashion. He wills them to do action. They are creative tools um, that can be used in the right hands for action. And we know that there are Kabbalists uh, in, the, in the history of the Jewish people that actually knew how to use the letters for creative purposes. Um, we know the Maharal, for example, didn't create a golem, but we can see from the Gemara that the, at certain points in, in history, a golem was created. And to do that, you have to be able to manipulate, not verbally um, and not physically, but you have to be able to manipulate the letters of the Torah in a spiritual manner rather than a physical manner. Uh, as I said, again, the, the idea that uh, just, I just want to mention, make it sure everyone understands that uh, the Maral never made a golem, ever. Um, that's a myth. Okay. Um, I hope that answers your question. Um, okay, there's more questions here. Let me just deal with these questions. Um, with a few questions here. Okay. Joan, I'm sure which world we are talking about. I'm not I'm unsure which world to the third world, the world of the throne, or the fourth God. We're talking about the the fourth world, the, the world of Atsilas, that the prayers make their way in the correct format to the world of Atsilas, into God's realm himself. How does not said with adequate Kavana count? Uh, to, what is the third world for then? The, the third world is the world of Bria. We'll come on to that later. It's the world of creation. Um, we haven't discussed that in any great depth yet. We will discuss it later on. Uh, how did Tefillat not said with adequate Kavana count? Well, that's a very good question. Um, Tefillat, you fulfilled your mitzvah. Unfortunately, if a Tefillat is uh, mitzvah sricha Kavana, that if you daven without kavana, unfortunately, it doesn't make its way, even with a minion. So the idea is to make sure you daven with, with kavana. Um, they're not picked up. Um, 
we're, we're going to come on to these other these issues uh, later on in the book of Yechezkel, when Yechezkel actually gives Musa uh, about the, the way a person should have it. Um, danger, every danger that an individual might address God directly, e.g. prayers such as uh, I don't understand that. I don't understand that question. Every. Would like to expand? Every? I don't know. Uh, David Taylor, can Sandov and filter out prayers without Kavana? They don't make it to him. Prayers without Kavana don't get, get don't even get that far. Don't even get as far as him. Uh, just just Efri, I'm not sure what your question is here. Um, if you you're muted. Okay, I'll move on. Okay. So where am I up to here? Now, you should have all ha- asked the question. Um, I'm surprised that no one asked the question. This is the most important question that people should be asking here. Why is Yechezkel being made wa- aware of this process? After all, aren't we told, don't all our prayers go directly to God anyway? The Gemara says quite clearly, and it's brought down in Shulchan Aruch, that the prayers of the Rabbim, the Pravidavim with a minion, the prayers go straight to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Uh, the Tur, uh, in the Tur Shulchan Aruch, uh, notes that a person's prayers are heard if they're recited when he davens with the minions. In Orachayim, uh, Simon uh, Tzadik, um, uh, he's there explaining the opinion of Rabbi Yochanan in the Gemara in Brochus on Davches. Uh, the Gemara in Tanis also says that for an individual's prayer to be accepted, proper kavana is necessary. But communal prayers are accepted directly by God, even if deficient in Kavana. So why is Yechezkel being made aware of an intermediary here? Like uh, you have to, you, you pray, and then Sandal, if you're done with Kavana, so Sandal Fon will pick it up, and then he'll adjust it and format it, and he'll take it directly to God. Um, what we see clearly from various Gemaras, the Gemara in Brochus, the Gemara in Tainis, the Arachayim, uh, in the Tur, and uh, it's quite clear from Chazal throughout Shas that uh, that certainly if you daven with a rabbim, if you daven with a minion, so you, your prayers go direct to God. What do we need this guy for? What do we need this sandal sandal font for? So what's Yechezkel being made aware of this idea for? So this is very important. The imagery imagery here is reinforcing a dark message about Jews, Judaism, and Jewish history. And it's really one of the darkest messages of this chapter, that Yechezkel is not living in normal times. When God took us out of Egypt, which we talked about last week in the Seder night, the Haggadah is quick to point out, God didn't take us out. Via an angel, not via a a sorrow, not via a messenger. God was there, present and correct. He was there. So, what Chazal are telling us here, and the message to Yechezkel here is this in times of redemption, in times of God's relationship with the Jewish people being optimum, 
God interacts directly with his people. At the time of the exodus from Egypt, it was Lo'al Yidei Maloch, V'lo'al Yidei Sorof, V'lo'al Yidei Shaliach, El HaKadosh Baruch Hu, B'chvodu God himself was present. In times of exile, in times of destruction, in times where there's a breakdown in the relationship between God and the Jewish people, God, so to speak, acts deliberately with Hest upon him. God hides himself from the nation and intermediaries are required to reach his throne. Intermediaries are required for Tefillahs to reach the place where they're intended to go. Here, in Yechezkel's vision, this imagery of the intermediary angel, Sandalfon, transporting Tefillahs, which is the, the basis of this Gemara in, in Chagiga, is indicative of a period where God is and has already withdrawn himself from the Jewish people and reinforces the ideas of exile, destruction, and uh, the uh, capitulation of Yerushalayim and the burning of the Beis Amigdosh, events that are about to overtake the Jewish people. So what you see from this is that the, the Gemaras throughout Shas that describe that prayers go directly to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that's conditional. That's conditional upon the relationship, of having a sound relationship between the Jewish people and God. When that relationship starts to sour, and remember, the souring of the relationship between God and the Jewish people comes from one side only. God never changes. God is netzachim. God is unchanging. Uh, never deteriorates. Um, he's always the same. It's we who are doing the deterioration. When that happens, God, so to speak, hides his countenance. He goes into a period of hest upon him. And as the, as the, the, the Torah says, hinani asta ponechem, asta hine, um, I can't remember the exact posik, it's in Vayelach, um, that God says he's going to hide, there'll come a day when God will hide his countenance from the Jewish people. At that point, that's what Yechezkel is seeing here, a point in which the tefillahs of the Jewish people will not go straight through. Even Barabbim, even in a minion, even Bekavona, even with the correct intentions, they have to go through an intermediary, which is really bad news. And this is the sign of the times. This is what's being transmitted to um, Yechezkel in this verse. Now, I just want to make a, a, a footnote to uh, notice here, uh, because this is a mistake that a lot of people make um, when talking about intermediaries. Um, we're talking about an intermediary here that's been appointed by God, right? This angel, Sandal Fon. Now, I'd like to tell you a little bit more about Sandal Fon, but unfortunately, uh, <laughs> not allowed to do so in an open forum. Um, but this is, this is the way it works. This is, this, this is the way the Gemara understands how in times of Hester Ponim. Um, I don't know what our situation is at the moment. Uh, my, my personal opinion is, is since the time of the creation of the State of Israel, I'm not a Zionist. Don't for one minute to get the impression I'm a Zionist. I'm not. I don't live in the land of Israel because I'm a Zionist. I live in the land of Israel because uh, it's one of the uh, 613 mitzvahs to do so. But I do believe that since the uh, establishment of the state of Israel, 
we have seen God, so to speak, coming out from behind the clouds and um, making himself obvious in the world. I mean, the most obvious uh, examples are the War of Independence, the Six-Day War, the, um, the capturing, the recapturing, the rededication of the city of Yerushalayim and the capture of the Kotel. These, to me, I'm just giving you my opinion now, are clear indications that the period of Hester Ponim, which went on, anyone that lived uh, through the last, uh, I don't know, through the the last 14 or 1500 years of Jewish history, excluding the last 70 years, uh, if you speak to them, if you would have a conversation with them, they would confirm to you that they lived in a period of Hester Ponim. We, on the other hand, uh, post uh, the Holocaust, um, and again, my opinion is that God, so to speak, has come out from behind the clouds and is making himself known uh, very clearly um, uh, to the Jewish people again. Uh, Rav Soloveitchik wrote a very, very important essay on this subject. It's called Kol Dodido Fake. My beloved is knocking, uh, in which he enumerates various uh, six knocks, six ways that God has, so to speak, come out from behind of the curtain and declared himself ready to re-embrace the Jewish people after the Holocaust. So uh, if you want to read that uh, essay, it's an incredible essay. It was given in, on Yom, Yom Ha'atzma'ot in the 50s. Um, and that was even before the Six-Day War. So um, that, that, again, that's just my opinion. But uh, I just want to answer a halakhic question here that people make a huge mistake um, in relation to the idea of intermediaries. Um, people say, well, you know, the reality is, don't we daven through intermediaries all the time? After all, we travel around and we go to Kivrei Tzadikim. And uh, I was in uh, up, up north last week in uh, Ramot. And uh, I spent a very interesting morning at the cave of the Rambam. And uh, there's also the cave there of the Tanoim, Rabbi Yochanan ben and the cave of Rabbi Asi and Rabbi Ami, and the cave of the Shlo HaKadosh. And uh, don't we go to the Kabbara? I went to Rab Chia and Rab Huna. Don't we go to the Kivrei Tzadikim and request that they intervene on our behalf with God? Isn't that the whole point of going to the Kivrei Tzadikim? The answer to that question is no, we do not. We go to the Kivrei Tzadikim and pray directly to God. The request is that our prayer should be answered by God in the merit of the tzaddik in whose company we are now keeping. I'm going to tell you a halacha now that might disturb some of you. Praying to a tzaddik or praying to an angel to intervene on your behalf is 100% avodazora. It's 100% paganism. If you daven to somebody who is dead to intervene on your behalf, in front of God, that is the definition, the absolute definition of paganism, of Avodah Zorah. We go to Kivrit Tzadikim to pray to God, and that the God, in the merit of the Tzadik we've come to visit, should forgive us or grant us what we're asking for. That is something that, I don't know, certain elements, certain elements among in Judaism have forgotten. And uh, it's about time they remembered it. Okay, 
So that is the uh, as much as I can give you on this this verse, uh, verse fifteen. Um, so there's this huge creature, this huge Ophan, uh, on the ground. Um, it's standing in the physical world, and it reaches up to the spiritual world. Its job is to transform the tefillos, bekavona, of the Jewish people, so that they would reach, in a formatted form, into the Olam HaOatzilus, into God's realm, so that they can be dealt with directly by God. Um, Ephri asks, why then did an angel intervene to tell Avram to stay the blade and not slay so rather than act directly to Avram? The angel was uh, he was acting on God's uh, command. God told him what to do to speak to Avram. I don't understand that question. What, why then did an angel intervene to tell Avram to stay the blade and not slay his son, rather than act directly to Avram? The, um, the angel was following God's command. That's all angels can do. God told him what to say to Avram, and he said it to him. That's, that's, uh, that's what angels do. Okay. So that is... So now... It, we're going to go move into. We'll start off by just uh, reading verse 15, uh, 16. Um, so we're going to go back to the straightforward understanding of the verse that there's oh, there not one Ophan, but there are four of them, uh, which is the way Rashi understands it, which is the easiest way of trying to understand the next few psukim. So exactly who these Ophanim are, we'll discuss it in a second. We'll We'll finish off with this idea, but let's read the passage, verse 16. The appearance of the Ofanim in the plural now. He's seeing more than one, so the presumption is he can now see four of them. Um, the one we spoke about before in the previous verse was one particular Ofan called Sandalfan, whose uh, job that the Gemara was describing. Now we're going back to Yechezkel, and he's He's uh, seeing in his imagery more than one. He's seeing uh, probably four, the way Rashi understands it. So, the appearance of the Ofanim uh, and the, the work that they did, the, the actions that they did was like the appearance of Tarshish. We'll see what Tarshish is when we come to translate this later on, when we go deeply into this Arbaton. And the four of them looked the same. They had one likeness. And their appearance and their actions were like wheels within wheels, like a wheel within wheels. So we'll be, this is going to take some explanation. But what I want to start with, which I'll, I'll leave you with, um, uh, before we come on to describing the difference between what the Ofanim are and what the Chayos are, which is what the first thing we'll deal with next week, um, just the, uh, the Rambam's take on the Ofanim. So the Rambam describes the Ofanim uh, as follows. These angels represent the four elements of the physical world, the four classical elements of earth, water, air, and fire. Uh, for the Ofanim, 
on the one hand, are connected with the Chayas and with the earth, which is what the Gemara says earlier on. They, in one sense, they are physical, and in one sense, they are spiritual. That's the first thing to not understand about them. Um, there are six things that we have to know about them, says the Rambam. That's the first thing, that um, they are, they, 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 the four of Fanim represent the, the classical physical elements of earth, water, air, and fire, and that they are partially physical and partially spiritual. That's number one. Number two, that they have four faces and are four separate beings that interpenetrate each other, although they were a wheel inside a wheel, which is exactly how we're going to explain exactly the workings of the Ophanim next week. That's the second thing to understand about it, about them. The third thing to understand about them is they are covered in eyes, uh, something we've not discussed before. We mentioned that the Chayas had eyes, that the eyes of the Chayas were burning. Um, the implication of the Chayas is that they, they each had two eyes, each head had two eyes. The Ophanim have got multiple eyes, millions of eyes, billions of eyes, trillions of eyes. Um, the fourth thing to know about the Ophanim is that unlike the Chayas, they are not self-moving. We'll have to explain exactly what that means as well. Uh, the fifth thing to, um, in other words, they don't initiate their own action. They don't initiate their own movement. How do they move then? So the Rambam says they are set in motion by the, by the rounded feet of the Chayas. If you remember, we discussed earlier on in the chapter that the feet of the Chayas were rounded. And that when the Chayas moved, so to speak, when the feet of the Chayas moved, that activated the movement of the Ophanim. And um, the last thing, which is very surprising, despite the fact that they're called Ophanim, and they resemble wheels within wheels, their motion, this is the most important aspect to them, their motion is surprisingly not circular, but their movement is rectilinear. It's one-dimensional along a straight line. Um, uh, the same may almost be said of the four elements they represent. Uh, they represent earth, water, air, and fire, which also are, so to speak, in that sense, one-dimensional, moving in a linear fashion. Um, though they only represent the four elements, nevertheless, they can form and initiate and an infinite number of combinations via those four elements, via earth, water, air, and fire, by combinations of those four elemental particles, it can create an infinite number of combinations and permutations, and thus initiate an infinite amount of, uh, so to speak, actions and uh, performances and effects that will affect both the spiritual world and the physical world to which they're connected to both of them. They're connected to the physical world and the spiritual world. And they are the keepers, so to speak, of the four elemental um, um, particles, earth, water, air, and fire. The combinations of which are, as we see in, in the creative process of the earth, when God created the, the earth, those were the, the four elements used in the creation of life, which, of course, life is infinite. Life has got infinite possibilities, 
as a result of that, even though there are only four elements, the combinations of those four elements create an infinite series, create an infinite list of combinations and permutations. So that is a basic, uh, if a little bit um, complex introduction to what the Ophanim are. This verse 16 is a little bit complicated. Um, the first thing we have to understand is the difference between the Ophanim and the Chayas, which we will do next week. That is as much as I can tell you. Um, the, the basic differences between the Ophanim and the Chayas will have to leave it there because there is a warning in this posset from various Rishonim not to go any further than that, but that will be the point at which we will um, start next week a clearer definition. I've given you the six, um, I'll go over it again next week, the six uh, characteristics of these Ophanim, that they're circular in nature, but they don't move in a circular manner. Um, so we'll deal with that uh, in Mitzvah next week. Um, now's the time. Now's the time. We'll stop there. And uh, now's the time for questions. If anybody's got any questions, now's the time to ask. Today was a little bit complex. It's um, We're getting into some very complex issues here. Um, if anybody's got any questions, now's the time to ask. Sorry, Harry. I was just trying to raise this issue about in Slichot. Um, we, towards the end, there is this Tfilah, which is Machnisei Rachamim. And uh, there is this dispute as to whether we should invite angelic bodies to intercede with our prayers to our Kodesh Baruch or whether they should go straight forward. Yeah, that's God's job. That's God's job, whether he wants an angel to intervene or not. So it's interesting that uh, there is a, a, a point of view um, that, uh, as again, I'll just reiterate, we're up in Ramot this, this week with the Lowenthal's and many others from Renana. And uh, I can tell you that uh, before Sphira Saoma, so um, we sang, we sang the song, what, what was it? Hinine Mukhan Umzuman Lakai Mitzvah And then you sing the song and then you, you got the words L'Shem Yichud, right? You say the words L'Shem Yichud. So the Dayan Zechazali Rock says, you don't say any of that. No, don't, don't, don't get involved in that, not, not your business. Like to, to, to get involved with uh, asking for permission and, uh, and getting involved with angels and all this type of nonsense. Not your business. Don't say it. It's, he, he held it was also to say it. He also held that you didn't say Brich Shemay de Marei Omar either on Shabbos morning. Absolutely also to say it because you've got the idea of Bar Elohim. It says Bar Elohim. It's talking about the angels there. You're not, you don't want the angels to get involved in your tefillahs. You want God to hear your tefillahs. It's God's decision whether he wants your tefillahs to be passed on to him via an intermediary. It's not your decision to uh, empower, so to speak, an intermediary to act on your behalf. The idea of going to somebody or praying to somebody or appealing to a human being to intervene on your behalf to God is an anathema to Judaism. You have got direct access to God three times a day. What on earth would you need an intermediary for? Rebbe's, Zebbe's, all this type of mishigas. Praying at Kvarim to Tzadikim. You don't pray to a Tzadik, you pray to God. And this idea is a, is a, it's a very dangerous business. If God, so to speak, is in a state where he, he wants to be in Hest upon him, 
and he wants you to know it. He wants Yechezkel to know it here. He wants Yechezkel to know that this is a time of Hestapon in the base of Mikdush is going to be destroyed in a few weeks' time, in a couple of years' time. This is a time I'm not interested, right? If you want your tefillas to come to me, they have to come via a messenger. But generally speaking, we hope, we pray that God will accept our tefillas and our tefillas should be directed directly to God. If God chooses to have them delivered, you know, via a third party, so that's his business. But to use a, an intermediary to pray on our behalf is, is a nonsense. That's what Christians do. That's exactly what Christians do. They pray to Yoshki to bring their tefillas in front of the, the father. Right? You could, the only way through the father is, sorry, to quote John, the only way to the father is via me, Yoshki said. So that's, that's, a, that's a nonsense, right? That's the Rebbe speaking. So that, 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 that's nonsense. So we, we don't go in for any of that. So we pray that, yeah. But I'm not entirely happy with your answer because uh, the idea about an individual having um, uh, is, uh, has lack of confidence in his own ability to get there for a particular purpose may invite somebody with greater merit religiously to pray for the same aspiration that he has and say, I can't, I think it's unlikely that if I'm praying for somebody who needs a first name, that Kodesh Bokram will hear me. But maybe Yankel, Reb Yankel, who has a particular more elevated spiritual dimension, he will be able to play for the same first name that I would want, but he may have greater possibilities for his tefillah to be answered. Absolutely right. But that doesn't mean you go, you go, you, you abrogate your responsibility. To pray, to pray to God and, and put it on the shoulders of another human being. Oh, okay. That's 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 a, that's that that's the anathema. Okay. The idea that we should all pray for other people's health is is of course we we we're required to do that to pray for the shalom of the the state to pray for the health of the Jewish people to pray for humanity. Of course we do we we're required to do that. But to abrogate our responsibility and say, look, I'm not worthy of this. I'll get an intermediary to speak to God on my behalf. That's a mishigas. That's not, that's not correct. You have got a responsibility to pray to God. You've got a responsibility to create a relationship with God. Listen, the reality is God is completely infinite in his knowledge and in his abilities. The difference between the greatest Godol and the biggest Amhoretz is in, in the context of God is nothing. We are all amoeba in the context of God's infinite, infinitesimal uh, um, power. So the reality is everybody's got the ability. There's a famous, I'll finish off with a famous story that uh, Rabbi Yisrael Salanta. So the, 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 it was Yom Kippur and uh, he was in shul and there's a young boy standing near him praying with Kavana, like a five-year-old child. He couldn't read the Hebrew properly. And he, but he was dabbling with Kavana. He was trying to make out the world, words. And the words were coming out uh, backwards and uh, incorrectly, incorrectly, um, incorrectly uh, pron pronounced. And he was still in the middle of the Shema Nesra. And Rabbi Yisrael Salanta had finished his Shema Nesra. And the, the Chazan wanted to do Chazor Sashat. And he wouldn't let the Chazan start Chazor Sashat until the boy who couldn't pronounce the words properly had finished. And the Chazan asked him afterwards, why did you do that? And he says, because the boy's tefillahs 
even though he couldn't pronounce the words properly. The power of his kavana was greater than everybody else in the room combined. And even though he wasn't pronouncing the words properly, God put the words together properly because of the kavana behind it. You don't have to be the great tzaddik to get through to a Kaddish Baruch You have to dab with kavana. You have to dab with tears. So that we say in Ashray every single day. What do we say? Right at the end. No. Korov Hashem Lachol Korov. God is close to all those who call to him. What's the condition? What's the next line? Oh, calling out to him isn't, isn't enough. You have to call out to him Behemoth. If you have got the level, it doesn't matter Sadik, Rebbe, it doesn't make any difference who you are. Any person, Korov Hashem Lachol Korov, God is close to anyone that calls to him. But Lachol Hashem as long as you're calling out to him in MS, if you're calling out to him in pain, if you're calling out to him and you really mean it, it doesn't make any difference who you are. You could be the biggest Amharits on the planet. Or you could be the greatest tzaddik on the planet. If you're, if you got the kavana, if you recall to God the MS, so God, so God takes notice of that. You don't need intermediaries for that. Anyway, I'll finish on that note. So next week, please God, uh, if there's no more questions. Next week, please God, we'll get involved in the Ophanim, and we'll get uh, gee whiz, uh, 